This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It appears now that uh, Elizabeth Wetloff, the uh, former Woodstock, Ontario nurse accused of killing seniors in her care, is expected to plead guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder later this morning in a Woodstock court. We're going to cover this from a couple of different angles. Uh, first of all, Liney Lambertick is with us, a reporter with Global News, who is uh, on her way into the courtroom. Liney, thank you so much for the time. I know this is a busy day. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, it's it's Lini Lambert. I'm sorry, Lini. I'm sorry. It's good to have you with us today. Now you're you're actually right outside the courtroom now, aren't you? I am actually, yeah, literally in the courthouse outside the courtroom. They've let the family members in, uh, so we were standing out with them for a little while, uh, and now just kind of anticipating when they're going to open the doors and let this big herd of media into the courtroom. Well, exactly. So any minute now, any minute. So and and, and I know that you, yeah, you may have to leave on short notice, so we'll uh, we'll be, anticipate that happening. Now, there, there was going to be, as you mentioned, a, a big cattle call of media there anyway, because this was the day that the pleas were going to be entered. But, but I right. imagine there's, a, there's a, a buzz in the air now because of the story that you broke on Global yesterday that there could be a guilty plea in here. That's, uh, that's obviously got a lot of people in the media talking this morning. Yes, for sure. So, yeah, we're expecting her to plead guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder in relation to those uh, seniors that were in her care. Uh, not too sure what's going to happen with uh, there, there are several other charges she's facing as well, four of... Um, of attempted murder, two of aggravated assault, I believe. Not sure how those are going to play out. Um, maybe we'll find out a little bit today about that as well. But yeah, we're expecting, uh, yeah, guilty pleas for those for those eight counts. So yeah. Now, have you had an opportunity? I know it's, it's been kind of crazy there today with everybody descending upon the courtroom uh, yep. to talk to the crown or anybody else about what you might anticipate seeing today. No, I I put calls out to the Crown, the defense lawyer, even the OPP yesterday, and we haven't heard uh, anything from them. They've been very tight-lipped about what's going on today, so it's hard to say. Although I do know that uh, today's proceedings could last all day. Uh, I believe it's not just a matter of saying, hey, uh, yes, I, I plead guilty. It's a matter of going through everything that happened, right? So we're going we're gonna to learn a lot today, and we're also going to actually hear what law for speak, it sounds like. I mean, uh, that is in stark contrast from every other appearance she's made so far. I mean, I've seen her in video link. I've seen her appear in person twice. Uh, and pretty much all she's done is say, Elizabeth Whitelawfer, like identify herself. So it'll be interesting to actually be in the courtroom as she's talking and going through what happened, because that's been a huge unknown, right? I mean, we know. Yeah, we're hearing we're hearing things about her, but right. it's actually from family members, isn't it, Lini? I mean, her mother has spoken publicly, I know, uh, yeah. about her medical condition, suggesting that right. she's got some issues that may be a factor here. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's going to be discussed at some point in the court today as well. Uh, we're also yeah. led to believe, as we saw in Global News last night, that uh, there will be a video of some description today, uh, I would yeah. assume from the Crown, uh, although we don't know okay. that for sure, do we? No, I, I did hear something about a video. I thought it was going to be of wet offer. Um, and I also know there's going to be an agreed upon statement of facts. So that'll be presented too. But yet, it seems odd, though, that with, the, with these things, you'd think, well, that's probably going to wrap this thing up at this stage. But we were also told to expect, or I guess you were told to expect, because you're the one that's going to be there, uh, that it's going to be a long day today. It is going to be a long day. Uh, I've been told I can be here until 5 o'clock, maybe later. I I mean, I believe they want to finish things up today in terms of her guilty plea. But, I mean, there's still those other um, charges to address. There's also uh, victim impact statements will be coming later in the month. So there's still a lot to go through, even though uh, if she pleads guilty, if that's what happens today, there's still a lot more uh, that has to happen. 
Lena, do you get a sense of, as as the impact this has had on on the Woodstock community? I mean, you know, it's 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 terrible enough, obviously, that you know the people are in a circumstance like this and families are impacted by in such a negative way like this. But then all of a sudden, to to know that somebody who is who is a caregiver, somebody who's in a a, a position of, of of trust like this. Uh, that was charged with so many murders. I mean, the, the, the people we've talked to from that way area are, are still, uh, months after the fact, in shock about the, the, the charges being laid in the first place. Right. It is quite a shock. Um, I mean, I'm based in London, and one of the care facilities mm-hmm. was in London. So it is kind of a hard thing for these victims, or the, the alleged victim families, to, to go through, and just for the rest of the community. Um, it'll. I imagine it's going to kind of make life a little bit harder for everybody living in this area to think, hey, now I, you know, later down the road, they might be in a situation where they have to put their uh, a loved one in a, in a, in a uh, long-term care facility. And uh, who knows how this is going to kind of play into that decision. Maybe everybody will be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more careful. I mean, obviously it's something that you're very careful and nitpicky about. Uh, but I was, I was speaking just with Andrea Silcox, just like, 10, 15 minutes ago, and uh, she's a daughter of one of the alleged mm-hmm. victims, James Silcox, and she told me, you know, you really have to be careful. You really have to look into everything. You have to go there. Like, you really just have to seal it out and make sure that it's a safe place to put your, your family members and your loved ones. So, do, do you get the I, sense, Lenny, that, uh, that obviously, I mean, in this particular case, the reality here is that Elizabeth Wetlofer is on trial here. But do you get the sense, in, in because of the reaction that you've heard from the greater community, and as you say, not just in Woodstock, but in London too, because there's there, there was an element of the crime that was allegedly committed there as well, that uh, that the industry itself is on trial. I get that feeling personally. I don't know if it's something that I feel from. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Where I where, mean, where people I, are concerned, like obviously. I mean, I, I mean, even if you have a loved one in a family like that right now, after you hear this story. And we understand these are just allegations at this stage, but you got to wonder what what level of care are my loved ones receiving? Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely hits home for absolutely everybody because everybody has family members that they worry about, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. That is something that the the alleged family members of the victims have spoken maybe about. maybe a lot about change needing to happen and the things that they're going to do in the future. I didn't get the chance to get into it too much, but I know that Susan Horvath was talking about, you know, I'm, she's reaching out to different retirement homes and whatnot and trying to trying to resolve some issues, I guess, in terms of how the, the care that's being provided and the, uh, the things that have to be in place and the rules that are in place and whatnot, right? Yeah, I get, I get the sense that even if you get some answers today, there's going to be a lot more questions out of those answers. Right. It always feels like there's more uh, questions than answers. <laughs> Lainey, I know it's going to be a busy day for you. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Uh, good luck with the uh, the coverage today, and we'll be watching for your report later on tonight on Global. Thanks for this, Lainey. Okay, thank you so much. Take okay. care. Lainey Lambertick, of course, uh, reporter with Global News uh, out of London, of course, Ontario, our core station there. and uh, She's covering the uh, proceedings that are going on in Woodstock uh, right now. Uh, she mentioned Susan Horvath. Susan Horvath is the daughter of alleged victim Arpad Horvath, uh, one of the eight who uh, is alleged to have been murdered by Elizabeth Wetlaufer. Now, we spoke to her just a few minutes ago. Now, as uh, we anticipate, Susan's there in the courtroom right now. And the, as uh, Lita already told you, they've already the family members have already been allowed in. But about 45 minutes ago, I spoke to her as she was driving to the courtroom in Woodstock. And uh, we had a, a conversation about her feelings, her emotions, how the family are dealing with this, and, and the terrible and, and, and frightful roller coaster ride of emotions and feelings that she and her family are going through. Here's that conversation with Susan Horvath. Susan, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us this morning. 
Thank you. On what has been a rather emotional number of months right now, what what are your emotions, what are your feelings, what are your thoughts today as you drive toward court? Well, today I'm uh, confused. I'm, I'm confused because there's really nothing that has said that, uh, there's not, no guarantees. They mentioned that if, if uh, wet lawfer gets cold feet, she has the legal right to change her mind. So right now we're sitting at a chicken and an egg. We don't know which way it's going to go. We really don't. What, how has it been for you and the family over the last number of months? I, I mean, uh, obviously you're dealing with a number of issues here. I mean, you're dealing with the death of a loved one, obviously, with, with your mother's death. Uh, and, but at the same time, all of a sudden this story breaks. And, uh, I mean, death itself is hard enough to deal with. And then this, this ugly, terrible twist to it. It, it, it had to be just catastrophic for the family. It is. We're all suffering in our different ways. So, uh, you know... I was crying for about six months, and uh, I just, you know, keep crying, and I can hardly wait for the day that I can stop crying, you know, it's like, but anyway, it's just, it's a nightmare, you know, for me, for my mom, she handles it different, and for my uh, sibling, he handles it his way, I really, I, I don't really know, but we all have our ways, you know. Have you been in touch with police? Have they been keeping you up to date? Have they been telling you about the investigation as, as they've proceeded? Uh, well, they can only say what they can say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, basically, um, we haven't been told too much as they wanted to make this an airtight case. They know the media is involved a lot, and they know I talk a lot in the media and my brother and a lot of people, so they tried to keep to the minimum giving us information, which was just excruciating uh, emotionally for everybody. But now we're, today's the day. Today we're going to really see if uh, justice is served or, uh, or what. You must have questions, though. This had to be a very frustrating time as, as, as these things started to come and you hear about these things in the media. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking, you know, we, we need to know. I mean, this is, this is a loved one. This is a family member. And, and you're only one of, of eight families that are involved in this. Oh, actually, one of 14. Well, of course, the, 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 the attempted murder charges as well, yes. Okay, and then whatever else we don't know, right? <laughs> And do you, were you told at all? I mean, we heard about this story last night on the national news, on Global News. Our, our, our sister station in Toronto uh, carried this story that uh, that there was going to be a plea today of guilty in this situation. Uh, did well, they tell you about that? Did, were you aware of that before you saw it in the media? Uh, I heard it from the media, and then it was pretty much identified within the court last night at the meeting. They were saying that actually it was Wetlocker's mother who had come to the media and said, my daughter will be pleading guilty, but then again, we're back to square one because we don't know if she's going to get cold feet. Uh, her life is one big hell right now, so nobody knows which way she's going to go until we absolutely hear it. And then we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We're done with this trust. Let me tell you, it's just a nightmare. Anyway. You need closure, don't you? I'm very sorry? You need closure, don't you, you and your family? We need closure, but it's not going to come right away. We're all scarred. We're all traumatized. And uh, anyway, it's going to take a couple years just to settle down, just to just to be able to regroup, you know? Well, you never get over a death, and especially a death in a circumstance like this. It's, it's well, exactly. Now every time it? we go to the graveyard, we see our father's gravestone. It's going to be that he's in there because he got murdered because somebody got pissed off. I mean, so this is just a horrible, horrible death. Horrible. 
this is this is a, a bit of a, a twist, obviously, that there could be a, a plea today, a guilty plea, which obviously would, would mean no trial. But, but I, in the days and weeks previous to this, obviously, Susan, you and the family had to prepare for a trial and, and prepare to hear some of these, these ugly realities, I guess, that, that police have been holding close to their chest so far. Yeah, well, I had warned my mother because she's 73, and I told her it's, uh, you know, not going to be easy. It's not easy for anybody, but because of her age and everything like that. And so, uh, but she's insisting on being here today and going to the court, and and it's a uh, lot will be revealed, uh, things that uh, will shock her and everybody. So I just, uh, we're just, <laughs> we don't need, like, it's just, we're just taking it a step at a time through the whole day. It's uh, this is going to be a tough day for you and all and, and everyone else. I mean, again, you you're not sure. I mean, the re- the news reports are that she's going to enter a guilty plea, and as you said, she can change her mind right up until the minute that the the judge yeah, asks. Yeah. I guess even the crown attorney was saying last night that she has every legal right at the very last second if she has cold feet to turn around and say no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not guilty, and then that's it. We're into a trial three years from now. <laughs> So uh, we'll be suffering much longer than we've already suffered. Did you have a, a, an in-depth conversation with the Crown yesterday about this, about what may happen at court today? Um, yeah, well, they prepped us. Eh? Yeah. So he did a lot of prepping and saying, you know, bring your lunch. It's a long day. It's going to go from 9.30 right up to past 5, or before 5. Depends how she answers the questions. Depends how they steer this whole uh, court today. So There is a real possibility, from what I understand, and I'm sure you had this conversation with the Crown yesterday, Susan, that uh, that there could be some details released today. In fact, if there is a guilty plea, uh, there will be questions, and they're going to have to be statements made by, by the accused at that stage. It's, it's going to be a tough well, day for you and your mom, isn't it? Well, we were told there will be a video. We were told mm-hmm. there's going to be detail, um, and uh, that's uh, very painful. This is where uh, we just can, we're compounding now the trauma more today because of what we're going to hear. Up until now, we've been traumatized because we know a woman, you know, killed our father. And uh, now we're going to be hearing how. And so that's more trauma. It's, 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 I, I can't tell you, it's surreal. It's absolutely surreal. I looked at myself in the mirror this morning. I said, Is this, am I really going to a murder? court over my father like i still there's days i just can't believe this is happening you know have you uh had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks and months to talk to to the families of some of the other alleged victims uh yes yes and no i mean everybody's kind of got their own little uh situation right and uh we've talked in the beginning when we all were in a little bit of a, a shock in the very beginning when we got all this laid on us and then we sort of branched out, um, you know, um, because a lot of these people are out of town, and I'm from London, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's, uh, yeah. and and everybody's, as you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, everybody, and I guess the other families as well, are all dealing with this in their own way. Oh, in their own way, you know, like there's a lot of stress, pressure. There's a lot of family members that I was told, you know, they don't want people to go through a, a lawsuit. They don't want the media. Other families are going for it. I mean, so this is a it, it, what it, this has done is affected literally family relationships as well, not just the, the trauma. I'm talking family relationships. Some families, you know, have busted apart over this whole thing because of their different opinions and views, right? Well, no matter what's said in court today, it's not going to end today. I mean, you may get some answers today. 
Uh, but yeah. as you mentioned, you're a long way from closure on this, and, and, and even the answers you get today are probably going to lead to even more questions. It, it, it must be a very frustrating exercise for your whole family. Well, you know, I mean, I keep worrying that someone's going to break down in health, you know, including myself, you know. Like, how long can we take it, right? I mean, I'm lucky I got to this point because I'm the most emotional one, crying all the time for the last six months with this stuff. And, um, you know, how long can I take it? You know, everybody says, oh, you're so strong. Well, how strong can I get for how long until I break up? You know what I mean? I'm not made mm -hmm. out of cement. You know, I'm trying my best, and I'm, I'm trying to control myself. But, you know, it's not easy when it was your father. That's for sure. You know, we loved my dad. We loved him. Mm -hmm. and, there, and there was no way, no way that you would ever, ever in your wildest imagination, think that something like this could happen to a family like yours? Well, I did, actually. I was the only one. When I seen my dad and the bruises on his arms and all that, I put two and two together very quickly. And Because uh, I'm a very skeptical person. I'm very negative. I don't believe in the, a lot of the health uh, care industry. So I have a different viewpoint on things. And with that viewpoint alone, within no time, when he was in the coma, um, I said something went on here. Something went on. And uh, this is all like a triggered death. This wasn't, that didn't die naturally. Susan, every, did, you know. did, you, did you ever have any direct contact with the accused? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, she came in the room apparently where my dad was. My mom had seen her mm -hmm. and my dad, of course, but I didn't know. It's uh, going to be a traumatic day among many traumatic days, I guess, that you were experiencing. Uh, I, I want to wish you good luck to you and your family today, and, and just yeah. know that our thoughts and prayers are with you and uh, and your family and, of course, all the other families that are dealing with this this terrible grief. And uh, we, we can only hope that things do turn out for you and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere down the road. Susan, good luck today and uh, good luck going forward, and thank you so very much for taking the time with us today. All righty. Thanks again. Bye Take care. Bye-bye now. Susan Horvath, uh, of course, the daughter of alleged victim Arpad Horvath, uh, that may be resolved to some extent anyway later on today in that Woodstock courtroom. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Right now, parking meter rates have gone up. Are you going to be downtown today? Are going to go for lunch at one of those great bistros in downtown? It's going to cost you a little bit more to feed the meter today. Uh, right across Hamilton, not just through the downtown area. Uh, these were approved as part of the city's 2017 operating budget. Also, I want to get an update on what's happening at the waterfront development uh, because they had asked for some uh, folks of, to show some interest in this, some of the big companies that are going to do some investing, and they got a big response to it. Jason Farr knows all about this. He is the counselor for the downtown area for Ward 2, and he joins us on the Bill Keller Show here on CHML. Counselor Farr, how are you doing this morning? Well, baby, I hope I can drive my car and talk to you at the same time. I'm en route to FCM in the nation's capital, Bill. I'm great. It's a sunny day, and it's great luck. I'm going to give you a little plug here right now. Uh, because somebody, you always hear complaints, all oh, these councillors are spending money on but FCM is the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Conference, and it is something that absolutely every city councillor should attend uh, because that's where you meet councillors from every other municipality. That's where you meet with members of the federal government. That's how you get money for the city. So good luck up there. Yeah, we were successful last year, and, and you're right. It is a huge lobby effort, so I put on my best smile with my best shoes this morning. And uh, last year we uh, managed to... Uh, woo uh, from the FCM Green Fund, uh, close to 500k for our Everyone Can Ride campaign with our Sobe bikes, giving those who maybe can't afford an annual membership memberships in a very big way. And that that uh, program's now in place. So 
working with Peter, like uh, people like Peter Topolovich, uh, Councillor Green, who was in Winnipeg with FCM last year, and uh, myself. Uh, it, you you can definitely, uh, if you apply yourself and uh, arrive with the true mindset of this is about a lobby effort of attending trade shows and definitely touring municipal facilities in other cities and talking to politicians, as you say, Bill, from far and wide, you can accomplish a lot in the next three, four days. Yeah, it's not just about the hospitality lounges. Actually, there's a, there's a real uh, uh, no. Then there's a real benefit to this too. And and I just say, uh, you mentioned about the the conferences in Winnipeg last year, and you ended up with the Sobe Bike funding for this. But uh, but there is a a, lin, a line here of of money that comes back into the city, an influence that comes back into the city because of some of the work that goes on in there. So good luck with that. It's going to be good up in Ottawa. Uh, let yeah. me say, given the fact that you're on the 401, you ought to be there by Sunday afternoon as it wraps up. But that'll be. <laughs> That'll be fine, nonetheless. All right, let's would, you, would, would you believe I'm actually right at the very top of the Skyway right now, and there's someone giving me a thumbs up, obviously listening to the Bill Kelly show <laughs> and a Jeep Patriot right beside me, so I just gave a wave on your behalf. All right, good stuff. I hope it might be my daughter. Now she's in town. <laughs> uh, anyway, we digress. Uh, parking okay. rates are going up. This is not news. I mean, we knew about this back in the budget process. Uh, and, and I want to put this in perspective, and I'll ask, ask you to do that, about how much it's going up and how this relates to other cities right now. I mean, there's always going to be a contingent of people that are going to say, I don't want to pay more. But I'm, I'm surprised it took the city council this long to actually do this. I thought, I thought this was overdue. Well, we had a very good debate with respect to uh, on-street and off-street parking last budget process, so the 2016 budget process. We ultimately raised uh, in just the downtown the off-street, so the surface parking lots, by a, an average of about five bucks per month on just the uh, monthly parking. So, But we did say in the last budget process that this budget process just passed, we'll address the uh, issue of uh, very low rates and funding to our municipal law enforcement and parking bylaw folks uh, uh, and the deficit that they're in this past budget process, which is something we did, Councillor Collins and myself, moving the initiative and uh, fully supported by council. And so, Bill, uh, effective today, we go from what was tied, I believe, with Thunder Bay, Ontario, as the very lowest on-street meter rate in the province of Ontario and probably Canada, to a still very low, when we look at our competitors, $1.50 per hour at our meters. Uh, and that takes effect today. And that's we're talking about city parking lots and the meters. Uh, and, and I know, as, as it turns out, because you've obviously done an assessment about these city-owned parking lots, uh, and some of those have been declared as surplus, so that, there's not as many of those as there used to be, but this does not apply. I want people to understand this does not apply to the, to the privately-owned lots. This is simply the city parking. No, and, you know, uh, it's still a great deal when you compare in Hamilton to privately-owned lots. You're still getting a, a better deal um, in most of our city lots as compared to some of the privately operated lots, but uh, rates have increased, still a very fair rate compared to other cities, and not to digress again, but I'm off to the nation's capital where I expect it'll be about $30 a day to park uh, close to the convention center and where the hotel is, so it, much cheaper in Hamilton still than most of uh, our comparator cities, Bill. Let, let's talk about the revenue here, because, I mean, that's that's the bottom line here. Uh, you know, this is this is money that the city needs to to basically do the job that they're supposed to do to deliver services right now, and, right. and for those that are going to be pining for the days of the one dollar parking, uh, one dollar per hour parking, uh, the increase here basically, I mean, when you look at the increased cost that you're facing as a city right now, 
you're either going to pay for this for things like parking fees, or you're going to pay for it on the property taxes, one way or another. Yeah, and, you know, we try, we strive, as you know, uh, well before your time on council and still today to be cost-neutral or revenue-neutral when it comes to the operating of our services in municipal law enforcement. And like I said earlier, we've had a deficit for some time, close to half a million dollars. And so by making this uh, a nominal increase, we were able to address that deficit, get back to that cost-neutral stream, so we can now afford to operate and maintain the parking facilities that we operate and maintain in the city of Hamilton. So there's a benefit there. And one of the, I think, really key pieces, and I got to take my hat off to, and I'm wearing my best hat for FCM too, Bill, but uh, to the BIAs. So it has taken some time to get to this point, to this increase, but it hasn't uh, uh, come without some very good consultation with the downtown BIA, the international BIA. International BIA in particular talked two, three years ago about, well, we're on for it. We understand there's uh, needs. We understand the uh, the cost-neutral nature of the way we operate and maintain uh, city uh, parking lots and meters, uh, but we want higher technology. We want to be able to say to our customers that have been flooding into international villages, the downtown BIA late, that you can now use your smartphone to pay for your on-street parking or your lot parking, and we're we're nearly there. We actually have already uh, uh, provided uh, all of our enforcement officers with the tech tool, the handheld device that makes that possible. And now it's just a matter of transforming meters from all those coins that nobody ever seems to have enough of if they want to stay a little later at that shop or restaurant to just sitting at that table at that restaurant, for example, uh, hitting the uh, parking app and adding another 15, 20 minutes if needed, or just tapping and paying on site. Well, the, the tech details, I'm sure you and I will talk about it once it comes into play, but uh, they're not uh, officially out there yet, but it's going to make things a heck of a lot more convenient with, with, in terms of uh, parking in our downtown and throughout our downtown. Well, sure. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago. I, I can still remember one particular instance where I was literally on my hands and knees looking under the seat uh, in the car for extra <laughs> coins to try yeah. to feed the meter. I mean, you know, who's got a quarter, for God's sake? Uh, and, and obviously it's going to be easier now because of, of the app that's going to be used. And I know that Marty Hazel from your department, uh, the city department, talked about that to the staff the, just the other day. But there's a cost to that. I mean, you know, to implement a program like that costs money. And, and like I say, if, if that's going to be the case, then it seems only fair that the people that are going to benefit from that program should be the ones that contribute toward the cost of it. Sure. And there's also efficiencies attached as well. So uh, in the current system, enforcement officers have to take the time in each and every car to process a violation or inspect. Now it's just a matter of taking a pick of the license plate. My understanding, Bill, that's not official yet, but I think we're heading in that direction, where the license plate plays a key role in relation to the app. And so we'll have some efficiencies with respect to uh, the officers who are actually doing the enforcement. And I think the convenience for an extra 50 cents an hour, a dollar fifty, we're still around where Thunder Bay is, uh, for those who want to visit and shop and, and, and uh, 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 do whatever they're doing downtown and parking downtown, uh, I think those efficiencies will be appreciated. All right, listen, uh, let's, let's move on to what's happening downtown. Uh, and by the way, the parking we've talked about is not just downtown, it's in the entire city, uh, wherever there's parking. And there they have already been. 
uh, some efficiencies in that, too. I mean, you don't necessarily have to feed the meters. As a matter of fact, in many locales now, the meters are gone, and you simply buy a ticket, as, as you do in most other cities right now. Right. Uh, so there have been effects of, uh, I think, measures to try to make things a little more comfortable and, and easier for the consumers and the people that are going to be parking down there. But let's talk about the waterfront right now, because you've, you've uh, actually had a recent development about that. You, uh, the city sent out a request, I guess, for some ideas from some folks, and it sounds like you got some pretty good feedback on this. Very good, and they came from far and wide. There's a few Toronto firms. There's one from uh, California, I believe San Francisco, and uh, other places. We had about 15 applicants. You had to be highly qualified uh, to take part to to hopefully be, they were hoping anyway, to be part of the uh, six that we had uh, suggested we would take a serious look at through a, a consultative process with the community and with a panel of experts and ultimately the winners. We now shortlisted from those 15 firms to six uh, to participate in the Pier 8 Promenade uh, Park contest. And it literally is a a development contest. The winner will have the right to develop and build our 6 to $6.5 million, 30-meter-wide Promenade Parkette that's going to go all the way around our new Pier 8 development, of course, about 1,500 residential units and a wonderful medium density design and an urban design plan that uh, took years in the making, but we approved just recently as a council bill. And this piece will start, this will begin in the spring of 2018, so even before the shovels hit the ground on the uh, actual developments. How did you, and now you guys, by you guys, I mean city councilors, you weren't directly involved in this process, but but how did you whittle down from 15 down to 6? Jay Thorne, your general manager of planning and economic development, would be much better to answer that question, but there already is in place a uh, team of experts who would have reviewed the 15 or so, I think it was 14 or 15 applications, and from that whittled it down to, to 6. And these are six very highly respected and qualified uh, architects, landscape architect firms, for the most part, engineers, who uh, will be, uh, some of them, I believe, are consortiums, who will be now uh, participating, taking it to the next step and participating uh, with uh, further enhanced um, uh, uh, project uh, scopes and, and designs, and ultimately hoping to be that one that is selected by that same group of uh, experts. Did you give them? Did you give them any parameters at all, or did you just say, "Look at there's a clean oh, slate. Yeah. Come up with something." Oh yeah, no, you know uh, the the amenities uh, are are vast, and the result of a couple of years now of stakeholder engagement. So all those meetings that we've had, and you and I have talked about in the past with varying themes with relation to the West Harbor. Uh, monthly meetings over three years now at uh, Evergreen on James Street North. We had many meetings that spoke specifically about community needs, uh, what people want to see on that promenade. We basically are looking at, at that time, a a blank slate with basically the footprint, the 30-meter-wide promenade that actually is uh, surrounding the the, the future development and ask folks what they're looking for. And we had uh, public art as a necessity and in the minds of many, uh, the vision from stakeholders about uh, appealing to families and kids. I think some of our, our, our preliminary drawings that weren't, weren't official, but just basically gave us a three-dimensional look at what folks were asking for through these consultation processes included uh, a little beach portion, trees, um, uh, markets, food uh, vendors, 
those sorts of things. So there's there's lots of things on the list for these professionals from far and wide to draw from, and obviously they'll probably in much be in much better shape if they utilize these ideas that were the result of consultation over the last couple of years from stakeholders. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at some of these names here, and these are the, the six that are, are have made the, the second round, I guess, here. Because uh, in the past when you've asked for requests and, and said, you know, does anybody want to, you know, s- spend some money and invest here, uh, you're hard-pressed to get some results sometimes. But as, as you mentioned, you've got a group here called Hargraves & Associates. They're out of San Francisco. Uh, Rosenberg & Studio, they're in Vancouver. Uh, I got right. another one here, uh, PFS uh, Studio, another one from Vancouver right now, and a couple of Toronto firms right now. It, it kind of sounds as if the word is out there that uh, that Hamilton's a pretty good place to do business. Yeah, you got to salute to the mayor who spent some time in Europe, uh, not so much on the park, but trying to uh, woo developers from around the world at a recent convention. I think it was in France. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're, we're a big city, and we should look far and wide and try to get the very best. Uh, to participate in various elements of this development, it makes total sense. And if some listener, maybe one, to the Bill Kelly Show this hour is listening and scratching their head saying, well, that sounds costly, uh, thanks again to General Manager uh, Thorne, who, when initially sat down with Count Collins and I and talked about wanting to partake in this contest, he'll, he'll call it something else, it's a, a design contest, more or less, uh, he the question was asked, of course, by Councillor Collins, who's uh, frugal, and we always appreciate those questions at budget time especially. But the Patrick J. McNally Foundation actually stepped up to fully fund the, uh, the part of this, the, the, the beginnings of this thing, uh, to, make, to, make, to offset any costs that would have been borne on the taxpayers or on, on our West Harbor budget. Uh, to make the Promenade Park uh, a reality. So the initial design phase would have cost the municipality, but thanks to a $150,000 grant from the Patrick J. McNally Foundation out of uh, Waterdown, who have done some terrific things in our community. They're working with uh, Beasley Community now on the Pop-Up Park, and I heard your interview with, uh, I believe it was Michael Borelli mm-hmm. not long ago about that. Uh, they see the uh, significance, and they supported us in our desire to get the very best firm uh, through this contest uh, to design and build this uh, particular promenade park for us. So it's been a real partnership so far, and it's fun, too. It's, I think, Phil, uh, it's 1912 was the last time we actually participated in an early development design plan and build in the form of a contest like this in the city of Hamilton. Well, what I like about this is uh, this is not something that's being done behind closed doors. And, and then, you know, the city rolls out an announcement and said, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to do all this stuff, uh, like it or lump it. Uh, the next phase of this is, is the, as you mentioned, the competition with these six now. And then, as I understand it, later on this summer, they're all going to make a presentation at a public meeting. And, right. and, and you have struck a, a, a panel of experts now, a volunteer jury, that are actually going to determine the winning design. Yes, and, 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 you know, that's an important piece. They'll made it be made up of, I believe, mostly local experts, but uh, like our design review panel, which uh, Councillor Collins and I moved up a few years ago with relation to, you know, the, the aesthetic nature and uh, the complementary nature of designs for buildings in our downtown, um, it'll be like that, a, a panel of people who know what they're talking about, who know how to assess each and every part, both uh, visual and uh, underground. And, uh, you know, they'll be putting their heads together and sort of like we're going to do when we pick our new FCM chairperson on Sunday in Ottawa. It's, uh, I believe, tallied 
by, by a sort of a point structure. Well, it's an exciting process, and uh, it's great to see this. I know that you've been talking about this for years and years, and, and it's gone from the uh, the, the sky, uh, blue skying thing all the way down to actually seeing some stuff on paper right now. So it's great to see this moving along. Counselor, have yourself a good trip up to Ottawa and hopefully a very uh, fruitful trip up there. And I'm sure we'll talk next week about uh, what you saw, who you talked to, and uh, how much money you brought back. But thanks for this today. I appreciate it. I'll say hello to Scott Duvall, our MP, and Sheila Copps, and everyone else I run into down there on, on your behalf, Bill. Please do. Thanks so much. Jason Farr, of course, uh, Ward 2 Counselor, on his way to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Conference being held up in the nation's capital this weekend. Uh, but also giving us an update on what's happening down on the waterfront. Exciting stuff. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. This is The Bill Kelly Show, 900 CHML. I am so excited to have our next guest with us because I, like millions of other people, uh, are big fans of the Property Brothers. Of course, we watch the Property Brothers show on HGTV here in Canada. Remember the Chorus family like we are here at CHML. Uh, these guys are award winners. Uh, they have been on television for the longest time with millions of fans right around the world, as a matter of fact. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. So pleased to welcome Jonathan and Drew Scott, the Property Brothers, here to the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Guys, thanks so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. And very good. To, very good to hear your voice as well, because when we were, I actually spent a lot of time in Toronto and even in Hamilton, too. So nice to talk to you, which, by the way, I will point out, Hamilton, very popular. We're in Nashville filming. And last night we were out having music and drinks and all that jazz, and there were these people partying at the bar right in front of us, and they turned out to be from Hamilton. Get out of town. Yeah. Really? Yeah, they, were, they were kicked out and arrested for all the Hamilton ways. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Hamilton, guys. <laughs> our, our, our reputation precedes us. Listen, I, I, I'm a big fan of the Property Brothers, and of course that's a show that's seen in over 150 countries. When you guys started doing that years ago, did you ever think that it was going to grow to the extent that it has? I mean, Jonathan and I have always had lofty aspirations right from when we started our first business when we were seven years old, and we were actors, and I'm a director, and we, Jonathan's an illusionist. We had all these big, grand ideas, but we never thought that Property Brothers would have taken off to the, uh, the extent that it has, and now we have five series on the network, including Brother vs. Brother, which is airing June 5th, yeah. and it's just exciting for us to see how much uh, fans love the diversity of our shows and what we do. Well, here's the thing about it, though, guys. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about the Property Brothers too much because I want to talk about the, new, the other show, which is actually going into its fifth season. For people, though, that watch you guys on the Property Brothers, they're going to say, hey, those guys are, are great. They're, they're brothers. They're collaborative. They get along well. They really, really seem to work. But if they watch Brother to Brother in the, the past four seasons of the show, you two guys have a very competitive edge, don't you? Well, the funny thing is, the so twins generally are very competitive with each other regardless, but we created Brother vs. Brother because we are constantly pranking each other and trying to one-up each other, not in a malicious way, but just to sort of build each other mm -hmm. up. And so we thought, let's do a show about it. And so we have done the last two seasons in Las Vegas near our home, and you know, we thought, let's change it and let's challenge ourselves as well to do something we've never done. So we decided to go from the desert to the ocean and do waterfront, have never done it before, looked everywhere, found Galveston, Texas, very relatable pricing, uh, and it, it's been unbelievable. The, these houses, you would not believe the transformation. Well, we, we only had $600,000 each to buy and renovate waterfront properties, so we really had to stretch the dollars. And I'll tell you, my house, Jonathan's house had its challenges, but my house, 
was such a headache, such a nightmare. But in the end, I had to go big. Jonathan's been bragging about winning the last two seasons, <laughs> so I had to go big. Well, this is the thing. Now, I've seen a preview of the first episode, and I'm not going to give anything away because I want them to watch it like I'm going to again on Monday uh, when it's on HGT- HGTV up here. But but Galveston's a whole different thing, as you guys talk about because uh, it's great that, hey, it's it's waterfront property, but that kind of construction and that kind of architecture presents challenges, doesn't it? That's exactly it. Johnson and I found, uh, you know, all these things popping up that we had never dealt with before. One, all the houses are on stilts. They're all on pilings. So you have uh, that because of flooding. And then also you had to have certain pressure rating and wind, hurricane rated windows and a lot of little things popping up and a lot of moisture issues. So it was fun. We learned a you lot. Don't, you don't get that in you Vegas really, much, do you? Yeah, you don't exactly get the <laughs> flood warnings in Vegas the same way. But uh, it, it was fun. It was definitely worth it. And, and the pranks that we do on each other, the, the you know, every episode is a mini reveal as well. But in the end, whoever nets the most profit wins. And then all the money from both houses, every penny that we make goes to charity, goes to Rebuilding Together. Yeah, Rebuilding Together is a great uh, a great organization. Maybe to spend a couple of seconds talking about that. That's that's something about rebuilding communities. And it's it's pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, we, you know, the first, uh, or rather last year, we um, supported Rebuilding Together, and we ended up, all the money went toward rebuilding a boys and girls club. Uh, the year before that, it was a transitional center for people who had um, mental disabilities and helping them create, you know, skills that they could take into the workplace. Um, so we like being able to do that, and, and they've been a great partner. In addition to that, we were able to, to partner with Wayfair to donate over $250,000 worth of brand new furniture and decor to the Habitat for Humanity Restore as well. So that's that was a huge thing. Uh, we use the Restore a lot up here, too. They're fabulous for, for that sort of thing, too. Listen, i got to tell you, though, for folks that watch the Property Brothers, you're used to seeing you two guys, obviously. But uh, but uh, in Brother versus Brother, of course, older brother J.D. is here. Now, I, I'm getting the sense that he's kind of the moderator. In, in the Scott household, was, was he sort of the referee between you two guys? Oh, no, not at all. We were just – it was always Jonathan and me versus J.D. Uh, <laughs> growing up with our kids. But uh, – JD is he's sort of that moderator, but he likes to instigate. So JD, I, yeah, I noticed that. Judges. You know that, yeah. So he's always he comes up with some of the best prank or, or challenge ideas or the rewards and punishments for the winner and loser. But in the end, we're, we're a tight family. We love working together. We love having JD as a part of the show, and I think that's what people love. You know, the before and afters are are mind blowing. It's amazing. You're going to see a lot of nautical and seaside design that might inspire a lot of people watching. But the fact that we just don't take ourselves too seriously, uh, the three of us have a blast, we have fun doing what we do, I think that's what people love the most. One of the things i got to ask you, without letting trade secrets out here, because we know that you guys are great at construction and re- real estate evaluation, etc., but once you get into the insides and the decorating of the house and, and what you're going to build, once you've torn apart the stuff that needs to be torn apart, both of you have this incredible creative flair. Where does that come from? Uh, we've always been creative growing up, whether it you know, was me designing illusions as a magician when I was a kid or, or whether it's just doing our real estate. Um, but you have to be willing to roll with the punches. Sometimes what you plan in the beginning, once you open up the walls, you realize, hey, there's hidden problems. And I will guarantee you every major renovation you will ever do, if you're gutting a house, you will always come across hidden problems. That's why there's a contingency. Um, but you have to roll with the punches. In order to not go crazy over budget, then maybe you have to give on something else uh, and spend where it counts. So everything we do, we take inspiration from our travels, from resorts, hotels we go to. It's e- everywhere. And with Jonathan and I, uh, you know, we do over 50 full-blown renovations a year. And we've been renovating, we've been flipping houses since the 90s, since we were right out of high school. So we've seen a lot. We've dealt with pretty well everything. And I think that we really, with our company, we really stay on top of what the latest trends are, what buyers want to see, 
especially from the number of houses that we flip. And so that helps us have an advantage. But but guys, when you see it, well, when they see it on Monday, of course, they're going to see the first episode of the new season of uh, Brother versus Brother. The two houses that you picked are both very, very different houses. When when you walk in there, you see the problems, obviously, and I know you talk about that in the first part of the show. But do you have a picture in your mind as to how you're going to address that and what you're going to do instead? Yeah, I think, you know, Jonathan and I are these weirdos that we've always had this ability. Even when we were kids, my parents would go away and we're with the babysitter, and we would redecorate. We would do a new furniture design in the room, and I'm sure my parents would come home and say, oh, thanks. <laughs> well, they did it again. But um, we've just always had this innate ability to see the potential, and the moment either of us walk into a space, Within five minutes, we could tell you how to maximize the use of the, fa- the space, the function, and how to update the design to make it more appealing to a broader audience. Because, I mean, when you see this stuff, and, it, and we see that with Property Brothers, but certainly in Brother versus Brother, I, I'm sitting there at the end of watching, how did they come up with that? I mean, it, it's, it's fabulous, the innovative ideas both of you guys d- d- come up with. Yeah, and, and you know, that's basically it. We, we never, you know, some people think, oh, do you have your go-to? You always have one type of design that you do, but we don't. You know, Brother versus Brother is very different than Property Brothers. In Property Brothers, we're renovating a home and designing a space for a family. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of what they want that is very important. Whereas Brother versus Brother, we need to appeal to the most buyers out there to make sure that the house is going to sell for top dollar. And you also want to cater to whatever that local market is. We renovate in a different city. We move city to city every three months. Right now we're in Nashville. We've already started in L.A. After L.A., we'll be back up in Toronto. Oh, actually, we're going to be in North York in the York region. So anybody in North York or York region that's looking to buy or sell, Get on the Facebook page for Property Brothers and apply. Listen, but, um, you, you really have to know what the local market is as well and what they like. Well, exactly, which is why you guys are all over the place, because there's a real difference, isn't there? I mean, you're, you're seen, as I said, in over 150 different countries. And real estate values and real estate uh, itself is very different in each one of those regions, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's why we have to work with local professionals in every area. Um, you look at all of our shows, you know, we'll have... Uh, local real estate agents that are showing us, you know, the areas and the differences between the communities working with Drew. I have local contractors that are working with me, one, so we can provide a warranty after we leave on all of the work that's been done. And there are access to all the local trades, local amendments to the code. So it, when we go to a new city, we, we create about 150 jobs, and it's important so that we can make sure that everybody's protected who buys the houses or the families that we're working with. Now, this is all in great fun, of course, when you're doing these renovations on these two houses in uh, this uh, season of Brother versus Brother. But somebody has to judge these, and it certainly can't be JD, uh, and it can't be you, Drew, and it can't be you, Jonathan. You brought in a couple of pretty high-caliber folks to, to actually do the evaluations for you in this, uh, this series. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to give away who all the surprises no, are, but no. we bring in a lot of our friends from HGTV. You know, we, we have Brett Waterman, and we have, uh, yeah, I, Tiffany Brooks, and it's, it's so funny because, like, some of the folks that we've worked with a million times, we have them back because we're Brom just said. like, yeah, Brom said, we're just like a bunch of friends hanging out and laughing. I'm amazed we get any work done, but at the <laughs> end of the day, the true actual judges are the buyers who come yeah. and look at the houses because... We don't know. I mean, the individual competitions, episode to episode, are fun, but the real competition is when the houses sell, who ended up making the biggest profit, period. And that's actually the scariest part for us, too. I mean, you know, we're, we're good at what we do. We're good at analyzing value in a neighborhood. We're good at knowing how to stretch a dollar and add value. But at the end of the day, we're legitimately putting our own money on the line. Between the two of us, we have $1.2 million on the line, and we are actually waiting to sell these houses to see who wins. So th- there's no faking it for TV here. No, and I can see, I don't want to give away any names, but you're going to recognize the folks that judge this first episode as well. And it- it's kind of like watching cameo appearances. You never know who's going to be on your show, because you-, you guys all know each other, right? Yeah, you know, we have summer parties every weekend, <laughs> pillow fights, 
Uh, no, we actually we know a lot of the other uh, HGTV talent, and so it's fun for us. Even you know, um, up in Toronto, we have Scott McGilvery mm-hmm. and Brian Baumler and uh, Mike Holmes and all the gang up there that we can get together and see. It, it's always a good time. We're, we are literally one big happy family. All right. One of the things that I love about this show, the real different twist, though, with brother versus brother, it's not just the competition about how the the, the renovations are going to go and, as you say, how much you can sell it for and how much money is actually going to be turned over, in this case, to rebuilding together. But you guys do this incrementally. In other words, you do different parts of the house, and, and, and those are judged. And uh, there are penalties, right, for the guy that doesn't win. Yeah, that, that's the best part is, you know, the – the losing brothers. So one of them, for example, we went to the zoo, Moody Gardens there, and they've got like 40 penguins in there. And the loser, barehanded, had to clean up after all the <laughs> penguin poop. But let me tell you, they have a very fibrous diet, and it is liquid. <laughs> Rewards for the winners, punishments for the losers. Uh, a, a punishment only only a brother could think of, I guess, right? For a sibling. Exactly. Ugh, we should make JD do these, the punishments too. <laughs> it's it's a fabulous first episode, and it's a great kickoff to a, another great season of Brother versus Brother. And it's going to be aired, of course, here on HGTV in Canada uh, this coming Monday, uh, June the fifth. And it's going to be on at nine o'clock, of course. So you know, you big fans of the show, uh, and and again, lots of surprises in this. Uh, you're going to be amazed at what you see, even in that first episode. And it's a great way to get everybody hooked onto the series for the rest of it. Guys, thank you so very much for spending some time with us today. Uh, look forward to the series, and uh, look forward to you guys being back. Back up in this neck of the woods in the not too distant future. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Talk again soon. Take care. Uh, The Property Brothers, Jonathan and Drew, of course, Jonathan and Drew Scott, and uh, their series, of course, now going into its fifth year, Brother versus Brother. And uh, it's a lot of fun. As I say, I got to see a bit of a preview of it the other day, and uh, it's great laughs, and uh, it's uh, pretty instructive, too. Uh, Check it out uh, this coming Monday, 9 o'clock on HGTV. Back after the break, the Bill Kelly Show continues here on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.